0: welcome to the stem everyday podcast putting stem into the classroom
1: hi there and welcome to the stem everyday podcast Uh, as always i'm your host chris woods and my job is to try to help you come up with some great ways to put stem in your everyday classroom Uh, and it doesn't matter what grade level or what subject you teach, um, STEM really can be something that you do every day in a class. And, and when you do that, it, it really shows those kids that it's not just something we're adding on at the end, it's, it's something that really um, is important and something that, that you can do. So hopefully you can get some great ideas. And today we have a great opportunity to hear from some, some English teachers. Uh, they're from Hardin Valley Academy, and that's in Tennessee, part of the Knox County School District. It's an academy with four different parts, and one of those parts is STEM. There are four teachers here, and they're all English teachers. Now, first off, let me ask, does the E in STEM stand for English at your school?
2: It should, (laughs) but it doesn't.
1: But it doesn't. Not yet. All right, so with us, we've got uh, Jennifer Pace. Hi. And uh, Stacy Messing.
2: Hello.
1: And Beth Love. Hi. And Mishan Cradle. Yeah there. So welcome to all of you. And you guys teach English and you teach STEM. How do you do that?
3: (laughs) Carefully. Yes.
2: (laughs) You kind of just have to go into it with an open mind knowing that your students aren't going to love your class. They may love you or, you know, maybe something that you do, but in general, before they get to us, and maybe even after they leave us, but English isn't their favorite subject. They like math and science.
1: That's so, funny because kids come to my class and, and I tell them the same thing. You, you might like all of other things better and you might not like math, but hey, hope you enjoy the class, right?
2: Right. We do the best we can and I think that we've learned some um, ways to be more exciting to them.
4: We kind of have to look at ourselves as more like marketing people than English teachers. Because we're trying to teach future scientists and math mathematicians and engineers why English and, and speaking and listening skills and writing skills are so important and that they will need them on an everyday basis. And most of the time that does not register with them. But when you start the first day of class, when they come to my class in 10th grade honors, for example, I tell them that if they wanted to be a researcher, for example, or do some sort of engineering project, how are they going to get money to do so? It's not like somebody's going to give them a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. They're going to have to write a proposal, and they're going to have to do a presentation to a whole bunch of people in order to persuade them to give them money to fund their research. And then it kind of clicks with them a little bit. And so they, that kind of opens a door for them, and it gets them to be a little more open-minded about, hey, this class might be something that I need some skills you know, in or need to develop these skills for future reference.
1: So that's how like just being a marketer, just sharing with your kids. You might like science and math more, but you still got to use English. You know, right. I have to do the opposite as a math teacher. I have to say, yes, you really are going to use math someday, you know, you really, <laughs> really like to write and, and those kind of things. Do so, you guys have, um, you were excited, I mean, when you, when you were first given the opportunity to, to teach at a STEM school, or did you just kind of get placed in this kind of opportunity? <clears throat> I
3: think we all kind of at first were placed in the opportunity and Beth definitely fits kind of in this mindset with a husband as an engineer and students, her own children who are really interested in STEM as well. Um, And she heads up our robotics team uh, business aspect as well. Um, And so we all were kind of tossed in, I think, but we all really fit. And I don't think that we realized that initially. I think that we were feeling incredibly challenged um, to come up with lessons and activities and materials that were going to meet the needs of these students that we really thought we had never taught before. But now that we've been doing this for six and seven years um, here, all of us, uh, we are definitely learning how to meet their needs a lot better, I think. And, and it's a very formulaic approach I think, mm-hmm. is how we how we teach English to STEM students. It, it's all about we kind of take math. And use it in that way in our classes um, in in a sense of a formula. So writing becomes a formula. Everything we do is this plus this equals that. So um, I think we've really adjusted well to the experience. But um, at first, I think we were all a little bit nervous about how how to meet these kids' needs. I agree with Stacey. Like writing in my class is very, you know, Formula
0: driven, you do this, then you do this, then you do this. And the kids first, before they ever write, they have to memorize the formula just like they do in math or science. Right now, currently, my freshmen are reading the Odyssey, and we're going to go back through the d-school process and try to figure out what he should have done to be a hero. So we're going to go back and find all the problems within the Odyssey that Odysseus, you know, what he does and loses men, and then they're going to try to solve what would have been a better way of doing it. So that's the whole design process. Just, so just like the kids you. are the do stuff yeah. like this.
1: It's kind of like doing the scientific method. You go back and just, you know, kind of change what you did and retry it again.
3: Absolutely. And it's challenged us all to come up with more creative lessons for our students and really incorporate problem solving as an everyday activity, which isn't normally something that you associate with English. You have to, I mean, it's very much like you,
2: said. you have to get people to, you have to get them to buy in and yeah. getting them to buy in is a lot of times through things like creative problem solving, making them look at literature a different way or, and we've also just through different things, donorschoose.org has been really great to us and um, we have a foundation here at HBA that's helped to. But we started teaching or trying to teach books that would be more interesting to our students. So while we still have to teach some of the classics, per se, we, um, we've got books like October Sky and The Time Machine, Jurassic Park, things that we can teach all the same literary devices through and tone and mood and all of that in any book. And so we just choose to teach books that would maybe be more high interest for them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, basically taking what you're already doing and saying, let's look for those aspects. I mean, because you're right, it's it's in everything in the world if you stop and and look for it. You know, I mean, I'm I'm sure you guys probably probably the first year you kept you know you maybe you're scrambling or whatever, but but each year as you go on, you find more examples, and you're you're looking for examples every day. And if you come across one, you you find it, you share it, you use it.
4: That's true. And, I mean, it's a, it's a pattern type thing, really, and that's kind of what we try to teach our kids, too, is, you know, literature can be a lot more um, uh, logical and formulaic as well. You know, if you, if you start looking at a particular author, you can start to see patterns just like you can in life. I always equate it to fractals with the kids, but especially because mm-hmm. tenth kids take geometry typically, and so they kind of talk about some of that stuff. And, you know, math is all about patterns anyhow, so oh, why yeah. can't you apply that whole uh, idea to literature as well when you're looking at a particular novel there you're gonna see certain patterns over and over and over again and same with symbols and themes and and that sort of thing so you, you know if you can apply it to one book then they can apply it to another novel or a play or a poem or something like that so that's kind of neat too.
1: Yeah I was, I was reading in, in, in an article and this is how I found out about you guys down in all the way in Tennessee um, from the yeah. dot news.com and it says you guys have to almost like, teach these kids a, a new language. Instead of saying prediction, you know, let's predict some, you know, you, you say, let's form a hypothesis. What's going to happen? Are those some great words or you got, you got like a great list you can share with everybody or?
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, let's pull out that Bloom's taxonomy list. I probably don't drop the lingo as often as I should, but um, I do think when you can remotely tie whatever you're doing in, even the language that you choose to use, with science or math they don't feel as overwhelmed. It doesn't seem quite so foreign to them if you can just tap into what they're comfortable with.
3: One of the things that I've tackled this year um, is instead of teaching isolated vocabulary, I have focused on academic vocabulary and I've noticed that they're making a lot of connections to how we can use the word evaluate, or how we can use the word analyze, or convey. Um, for example, some of the words that you covered, um, purpose, to their other classes, and I actually ask them to do that every day. So they're seeing the connections between the courses as well, and it's not just uh, teaching you know vocabulary, for example, in isolation.
1: And well, then there's really- so. Oh, go ahead.
3: Well, there's so many words recently with
2: Common Core and the park assessment that's coming. And there's just words that they've been putting in the prompts that even as English teachers, we're like, what in the world? Why would they choose to use this word? And so we've literally had to go back and try and teach them words just so they'll understand what the prompt is asking them to do. But once we teach them once, then it's really, it's a lot easier for them to see how they would use that word in other in relation to other classes.
1: Yeah. So they're, they're getting stuff that I mean that can help them in, in, in their math and it can help them in their science and so much of, of the technical writing I mean if you if you were talking about earlier about writing proposals I mean try reading something that's college level math and science. It's, I, I, I was in an engineering school and it was hard to read half of that stuff you know and I was a math and science person. You know. Well, the other
4: part, too, with, um, with the Common Core, we're required to pull in more nonfiction-type articles to pair it with some of the literary choices that we make in our classes. And so as a result of that, reading some of those um, more heady texts that are nonfiction, um, it really helps with the kids' vocabulary and understanding the reading comprehension on a college a collegiate level. But it also um, helps with that cross-curricular stuff, too, because we might pull in... Um, let's say we're doing a Shakespearean play and there might be uh, something, let's say if you're doing Romeo and Juliet and you're talking about the apothecary scene and how they're mixing the poison, that's a great opportunity to pull in some kind of chemistry lesson or something. And
3: we actually um, did in my class last year in our study of Romeo and Juliet uh, brain studies. So we looked at a lot of um, different aspects of, of the brain and the chemicals uh, related to functions in your brain, and my students had to uh, actually present to the class what was going on with Romeo, what actually happened in his brain that led to his demise, as opposed to just saying, okay, what happened, which might be more of a traditional English lesson.
1: Wow. Well, I, I want to be in that class. That's
2: nice. <laughs> <laughs> we wish they, they all felt that way. Yeah. <laughs> no matter no. what we try and come up with, some of them aren't.
1: You know. yeah well I mean we, we all deal with that as teachers you you try your best and yeah. and, 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 and really what you guys are doing is you, is you're trying to hook more and more kids that otherwise wouldn't wouldn't realize the the point you know what's the point? Why do I need English for if I'm right. going to be a math and a science person you know I'm
0: just helping right now because I currently teach the design one class and I teach or team teach it with a science teacher and they're all freshmen it was entitled stem one but i decided or i knew right away that my one of my big roles was teaching them how to public speak and kind of having fake buzzers every time they said those um and uh, uh like words and selling it and the confidence and showing them how to make videos that reach their target audience and using words that are specific to their target audience. You know, should it be formal? Should it be informal? When's appropriate this? When's appropriate that? And and we've gone through three different designs and each one
2: heavy in English. And they're slowly learning that. Well, that's another thing. It's kind of off topic, but since you mentioned it too. One thing that at first, here at Hardin Valley, we don't have our own classrooms. There's so many teachers that... We literally have to rotate, like, second period, I'm upstairs, someone could be down the hall, you know, wherever. And, at first, being here and working in the academy setting, it was strange to not have, like, your own desk, your own bookshelves, where everything... English
3: teachers surrounding you. Yeah,
2: you know, like, you're usually with English teachers only. And even, you know, if then, you would stay in your classroom. But here, because we're in this community, academy-type setting, it's really beneficial just sitting around the lunch table and things, we'll be talking about something we're doing in class or, you know, I wish I knew how to incorporate this and we're sitting with science, math, you know, technology teachers and foreign language teachers and so it's really great because you learn a lot and we bounce a lot of ideas off each other and like we've given them handouts, some science teachers Mm -hmm. on how to write a paper, like give them step-by-step instructions so when they're trying to incorporate English they can do that better. Um, yeah. well, a lot of us, I think all of us actually, at least team teach one class. So we combine, um, a lot of times we combine English and world history. Um, but, or in, I think you do APGov English and government. Yeah. English and government. Um, Michonne has the STEM class combined. Stacy has an honors combined. Um, and then I teach a, well, it's a new kind of class. We did it last year. It's where the same group of freshmen travel to the same four teachers. So, um, Mr. Chambers and I teach them world history and English together for the year. And those same kids, then the next period, go to Coach Furman and Coach Galloway, and they teach them um, Algebra one and PWC combined. Which
3: is physical world concepts.
2: Yeah. So, then those four core academic classes that they have to have freshman year, they... with the same four teachers in the same little, we call it the STEM cohort. And it's a nice way that we're trying to make a freshman academy without having a freshman academy. Like it it enables us to keep a closer eye on some of our freshmen and make sure that they, you know, capture those credits and that they're moving on instead of failing this and failing that. And um, it's, it's worked really well and it's been really cool because things that I could not have come up with on my own um, the four of us together, you know, they're able to ha- help me incorporate math and for them to show me different science things that were part of the Holocaust and otherwise I would not have been able to do that. So it makes my teaching much, much better.
1: Yeah, it's any, part any of the- chance To collaborate, that just take yeah, advantage yeah. of it at your school. Find someone if you're an English teacher, latch on it, you know, say, hey, help me with what could I grab out of this?
4: Mm-hmm. I think the biggest hurdle we had to begin when we started the school seven years ago was to, um, because we had these different academies, and for our particular school district, it's it's the only school of its kind uh, where we have the different academies, and basically trying to understand how kids think and how they learn, and trying to kind of figure out how a STEM thinker thinks and learns. Mm -hmm. And so... For, that was the biggest challenge for us. And I think we pretty much have that down now. Um, and so now the fun part is like Stacy pointed out was to try to come up with these really fun activities. So now we kind of understand where these kids are coming from and, and how they think and learn and how they write um, to try to kind of get it to their level where they are more receptive to um, being open to taking an English class. Cause it's, you know, for say a liberal arts kid, it's Writing for them is kind of innate, and they just kind of know how to do it, and you really don't have to explain it to them. But our STEM kids don't have that innate sense of how to do public speaking or how to write an essay, so we do have to put it in a formulaic sense and write formulas for every paragraph for them. Mm-hmm. And we, we start them freshman as freshmen to do doing that, and so by the time they're sophomores, juniors, boy, they they they've got it, and they can just, It's kind of like plug and play, it's like Windows. You know, it's really easy to do. And um, so then you just have to kind of nuance it a little bit, and as they mature, then then that those nuances come in, in their
1: writing, and
4: and yeah. it's, it grows. Yeah,
1: yeah, it, and 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 in a way, I mean, it, I'm I'm a math person, and I grew up liking math, and I was shy, and I couldn't talk very well in front of people, and you know, and now I teach math every day, and I talk in front of people all the time. I try to tell kids that.
4: Well, if we can find a way to connect these kids to um, make them more comfortable because kids tend, or people in general, just tend to um, shy away from things they don't like. And and particularly kids, they tend to just shut down. They don't want to do it. And we see that in math a lot. You know, if kids don't like math. They're not going to do it. Yep. They're not going to try. And, and English is the same way. So um, if we can find a way to connect with those kids on their level and what um, they understand um then like their their mind is more open and they're more receptive to it and they tend to try a little more and then, then they get going and it makes life better for everybody.
0: But we also always beat them to the punch, you know, if we start poetry before they can say, ah we're like, we know you hate it. <laughs> yeah. We know.
1: Yeah. So bear with us. So I think I think that, that really sums up, I mean, great what you guys are doing. You're you're taking, you know, STEM, you know, math and science ideas that maybe Maybe not exciting to everybody, and you're finding ways to to incorporate it into into other kids' lives. And, and really, as as STEM teachers, you know, like people like me who teach math or science, I mean, we got to do the opposite. Look for ways that we can, you know, encourage English and history and and all those other types of teachers as well. And and I think maybe the best thing. And, and thank you um, all of you, Jennifer and Stacy, Beth and Mishon, for for sharing some of these these great insights, and I think I think maybe the best idea to come out of this for me is take the opportunity to, if you're a math teacher, talk to an English teacher. If you're an English teacher, talk to a math teacher. and Just start sharing ideas and see see what you can come up with and, and see if you can help out. And You may not have a lot of time, and it may not work great the first time, but you keep working at it, you'll be able to really help those kids because that's really what, what we're here for, right? It's
2: okay to fail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh,
1: so. we do that. <laughs> we, we fix, but we've done that before. Yeah, so I want to thank you guys, and and has um, been a great podcast. Maybe again in the future we can uh, talk and maybe hear some other great ideas. And thanks again, everybody, for listening to the STEM Everyday Podcast. Thank
4: you.
0: Thanks.
4: thanks. thanks. You're listening to this podcast on the SDAC Broadcasting Network. To find more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit remarkablechatter.com.